I don't know if it's significant or not. I choose to think that it might be, but then again, this might be whistling in the dark. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, uh, WOR is part of its vast, all-seeing, uh, all-encompassing, all-loving public service policy will bring you until midnight me, and I will whistle in the dark for you take the load off your back for the next 45 minutes. I will miss the point of the entire world for you for the next 45 minutes. I will stumble and bumble through the dark, hoping for the best, but being dogged by a sense of imminent failure, nipping at the hawks, <laughs> the hounds of hell. I uh, choose to think that it is significant. But not more than 24 hours ago, I was on a safari through Brooklyn. And uh, the native bearers were spread out, and we were beating the bushes. We were making little progress. The searing sun was beating down. The water supplies were growing short. Our food was getting rancid. When I spotted just on the other side of a large banyan bush, a small nightclub, which has the temerity and the honesty to call itself Club Illusion. This is laying it on the line. Now, this is a very unusual thing, I think, in our day and time. Club Illusion. Will any of you please look up Illusion? And uh, you will find that this, uh, in a sense, uh, illustrates much of what we're all attempting to swing by. So, uh, stand by. I will whistle another few bars for you in the darkness here. This is Uncle Walt Wallet, and uh, we'll be here until midnight. Well, I, I feel, however, that since... Uh, now, I, I doubt very much whether I really saw this, because I was suffering from a terrible attack of malaria at the time. And it wasn't until hours later, after I got back here in Manhattan back on the oasis and had drunk my fill of clear, sparkling spring water, that I was able to truly and completely digest the illusion that I myself had seen a mirage, actually. Club illusion. Is there such a club in Brooklyn? Oh, no, that can't be. It cannot be. Well, of course, the illusion springs up all around us. Like the other day, I, I have a feeling that, uh, that none of us will ever really penetrate very deeply into the great a great layer of illusion that surrounds almost anything that has to do with present-day life, because creating the illusion is now a, well, it's actually a full-time industry. There was a time when illusions were more or less momentarily, accidentally created things. Today, the whole industry of public relations, advertising, and uh, well, there are a few other little side industries, are devoted to creating this illusion. It's a master operation. <laughs> you know, it's like, shall I tell you a little story? It's a little story to show you the illustration of the illusion creation business. Now, now you're, you're quite prepared to accept the fact that 99.9% .9 of the movies that are, are referred to as the one picture, the one picture, if you have to see only one picture this century, this is the picture. It's fantastic, unbelievable, an unforgettable experience. And, and these almost always turn out to be experiences that you forget almost as soon as you see them. As a matter of fact, by the time the third reel is on, 
you have already forgotten the last half of the second reel, which, uh, which, which dogged me all the way through the misfits. It was a very embarrassing picture. Uh, some of the scenes were so bad that they could only photograph them from a long distance. Uh, you probably saw this was known as a new photography technique. Actually, what it was was sheer embarrassment. The camera wheeled way back, and then the people went, Oh, no, no, you are a man! And, and the entire, the entire, <laughs> this picture succeeded in reducing passion to a small tantrum being thrown by a 10-year-old girl in the middle distance, which uh, I think is kind of fitting for our time. Has anyone looked up illusion for us there? Please look up illusion there. I'm swinging by my feet. Come on now. Well, we just expect a little, op just a little cooperation. You know, speaking of cooperation, though, I, I'm, I just, just feel like it tonight. So if, I, I'll tell you, this is going to be a completely um, al fresco operation. We're working totally out of doors here. And um, there will be no moments of glory nor truth tonight. Uh, there will be a couple of commercials. You might as well leave now. Uh, you might as well go to bed because you're not going to miss anything really important. Not that you ever have really missed anything important, you know. <laughs> you're the type who never does, of course. Uh, we understand that, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, Mary Jo. There certainly is a lady bountiful. And uh, we'll be here until midnight, as we said, you know, whistling in the dark for you. Now, uh, I've, I've come to believe in the last uh, six or seven months or so, it's just been a, a thing that has dogged me, more or less, lately, that the real news is hardly ever reported. The wildly interesting news, like we'll, we'll go on endlessly about some guy who was caught stealing postage stamps in the Bronx, who was asked to resign. Big deal, you know, to go on for hours, hours. Some guy with little job someplace, you know. And then we'll go on endlessly about how, how the A train was held up for 17 minutes at 545 because a door got stuck on 34th Street, you know, this sort of thing. This is the kind of news that goes on. And the weather, oh yes, the weather, yes. We, we make much ado of the weather. And we can hardly remember even last week's storms, you know. And yet it's a very tremendously important thing. Whereas the real news is hardly ever reported. The other day, I'm, uh, except in my, in my favorite humor newspaper, the, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the old times, you know, has a section which they don't list on the editorial page. You know, they have the theater section, and they have the, the, uh, or the, the sports section, and they have the business section. Well, one of my favorite sections of the New York Times is a section one of my friends has labeled the silly section. And <laughs> this is where the real news comes out. And often, the real news is right on the front page where you'd least expect it to be in the New York newspaper. I have never known a city that is more provincial in its outlook regarding international news, frankly. You know, I, I'm, I'm living way out there in, in the great vast inverted bowl of the Midwest. And I'm suspecting, you see, that I'm cut off from the rest of the world because every five minutes, the newscasters would come on and say, Good evening, Americans everywhere. The Cincinnati City Council today voted to do away with parking meters on Pine Street between the 17th and the 18th blocks. In other news, it was reported today that over 45 parking tickets were issued along 4th Street in the space of one hour. The Silverton Dayton bus was held up for over 17 minutes today due to a flat tire. According to a reliable report, it was the left rear tire which went flat. And now the weather. Cloudy, 
with occasional showers. The present temperature, 47 degrees. And there you have the world news as reported right up to the moment in the WCKY newsroom. Good day. Well, you know, I'm sitting out there and I figure, you know, this is, this is just a local condition. I figure, well, I'll have to get somehow a secret uh, a, a wire or maybe a Western Union wire or something to some newsroom where I can get my own, my own supply to find out what's going on out there in that, that, that world just beyond the edge of Coney Island, you know, out there past the breakers. Well, I get to New York, and I find that during the entire, uh, during the entire crisis in Laos, there were three papers in town. During the entire Laotian crisis, or Laotian crisis, if we prefer, during the entire crisis, three newspapers continued to say, Liz is improving. See story inside. Marilyn Monroe recuperating. These were the headlines. Then the next day, Liz and Eddie land at LaGuardia. Story with pictures inside. <laughs> These are front page stories. So I figure, you know, there is no town that is more really provincial and more concerned with New York than New York. And almost invariably, what happens is that when a, when a magazine or something begins to publish itself in New York City, it begins to feel that the most important stories are the kind of stories that begin with, uh, by the way, speaking of, of magazines, uh, we, are, we are really approaching a, a state of, I don't know why. It's a strange kind of lawlessness. I cannot describe it except to say that it is breaking not only the laws of uh, probability, probability, but also the laws of behaviorism. Uh, for example, uh, there is a magazine on the stands now. It says, Inside, exclusive, the first chapter of a soon-to-be-published bestseller. <laughs> Feel that one. Put your glove on that one a soon-to-be-published bestseller. As if bestseller is a special division of literature like poetry, novel, or uh, short story, novella, bestseller. I work in the bestseller division, actually. I've got a bestseller that should be done by, oh, let's say, late in November next year. I'm working on the outline now. Jerry Wald has just bought it for pitches. And uh, it's going to be very big. Cary Grant, you know, read the title and he bought it right away <laughs> like like now can i tell you a little more about this do you really want to know the inside of this kind of thing a friend of mine the other day got a call from hollywood he's a writer and um they they called him up and they said uh, we uh, we've been looking at your novel he wrote a novel that was a failure two years ago see he says we've been looking at your novel we kind of like you to come out and do the screenplay he says my novel no not your novel actually you see, we can't get any money unless we have an actual novel. We don't like your novel, actually. But uh, we like a couple of lines of dialogue you got in there, like that one place where you say, hot diggity dog. We think there's a pretty good line there. And so we can't get any dough from the bank unless we have a guy who has written an actual novel, uh, an actual novel that's been copywritten, see? So if you'll come out to Hollywood, now we're going to put you on another project, actually, but you got to sign the contract that says you're writing a screen treatment of your novel. You see, only actually it won't be your novel. Now, we don't want you to get the idea we're going to do your novel there. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is, it's Alice in Wonderlandsville. What about club? Oh, illusion, illusion. The action or an act of deceiving the bodily or mental eye by what is unreal or false. Boy. Wow, 
this sounds like the whole PR business right here. Listen to this. I will read this again. Illusion. The action or an act of deceiving the bodily or mental eye by what is the mental eye. By the way, does your mental eye have astigmatism? I like the way the Oxford Unabridged gets poetic here and uses all sorts of, of uh, interesting <laughs> imagistic phrases. The mental eye deceiving the bodily. The bodily is your eyeball, see? Your, your mental eye is the other one. That's the one that gets confused. Your eyeball is okay. Don't worry about that one. Uh, the action or an act of deceiving the bodily or mental eye by what is unreal or false. Sensuous perception of an external object involving a false belief or conception, often including hallucination. There is a club called the Club Illusion in Brooklyn. Yes, indeed. Uh, that's, uh, well, that's nothing. There's going to be a new television show this summer called Simply Graves Registration. Thought you ought to know. It was announced in one of the trade journals recently. We are rapidly approaching. I can't tell whether it's the apex or the nadir. Speaking of the nadir, this is W-O-R-A-M and F-M New York, and uh, we'll be here until... <laughs> yeah, the cows come home. Two of them were reported on the turnpike just approaching the Lincoln Tunnel five minutes ago. We'll be here till the cows return. They pay their own fare. I don't... We'll now cash in on the price-smashing General Tire Springtacular for a limited time only Ford, Chevrolet... Plymouth, Willys, Knight, and Essex owners can get tremendous savings on all general STM nylon tires priced as low as $13. Six seventy by 15 see your general tire dealer. Speaking of cars, we have a note here that beseeches you. It says, see the most colossal carnival. Hey, for crying out loud, do you realize that they underline the word carn, carnival, carnivus, carnivore, carn? Wow, do you know what carnival means? I would suggest you look that word up. It has an interesting Latin root. And they, they underline carn. Of course, the, they're... they're uh, oh. <laughs> I get it. Oh, for carnival. Cars. <laughs> George, people are awfully clever. These See the most colossal carnival of cars ever assembled. The International Automobile Show at New York Coliseum. I would like to go through an automobile show these days with a, with a good practicing... Uh, experimental psychologist in tour. in tour. Just tow him along behind me and make notes as he makes notes. Uh, you'll see more premieres of more cars, more economy and luxury models, more compacts, more sport cars, more new styling, more accessories, more motorcycles, more motor scooters than ever before. And that's more, boy. That's a lot, man. Inspect cars from Czechoslovakia, England, France, Germany, Holland, uh, Israel, Slobobia, Italy, Japan, Sweden, and the United States. Every place. There's cars there from everywhere. And Oz. You'll enjoy the spring cargo fashion show for some... <laughs> okay, this is terrible copy. I, all I can say is that I would suggest you go see the new Jaguar. It's a gasser. <laughs> oh, boy. And it's, it, they go on to say, it's a family show. Take the kiddies. Break them in early. The International Automobile Show at New York Coliseum, now through Sunday. Yes, sir, that's my baby. Oh, yes, we have another one here with us. It's, it's Alba Dry Fat-Free Milk. Not That's more than we can say about fatty. Alba Instant Non-Fat Dry Milk. <laughs> I'm sorry. It don't look like that. It's all right. I know it. Uh... <laughs> Look, I'll tell you what this Alba milk is good for. 
Now, now I, I, I know that there are at least 978 million guys who listen to me who Monday, about 10 o'clock in the morning, buy a quart of milk, and by Friday it has hair on it. You know? You stick the milk in the, in the, you know, I mean, I mean, if you're the kind of guy that uses two eyedropper full of milk a day, <laughs> well, the thing about Alba milk is you just can mix it up, you know, you don't have to worry about it and it will not explode in the cupboard after being kept there for three days. Like, the, did I ever tell you about the time I did have a can of milk explode in my icebox after I had it there for eight months? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, uh, Alba will not do that, and you'll find that Alba tastes more like, like milk milk than any of the other instant milks because of a price which we will not go into here, being that it's too, too late and there are too many women and children with us. But uh, Alba makes it, and uh, you'll find that it costs less than 10 cents a quart, and you'll find it in the grocery section of your favorite food store in convenient 3, 5, 8, and 37 quart sizes. Try some very soon. You'll agree there's no other milk quite like Alba. Now, there's a leading statement that just hangs in the air there. <laughs> I'll tell you about the time I was in Greece, and this guy gave me a, a jug of goat's milk. Have you, ever had, have you ever had goat's milk? It's been out in the sun for about a week. Well, there's no other milk like Grecian goat's milk, I can point out. But uh, seriously, folks, uh, I think you'll find Alba makes it... Alba. I'll never forget there was a girl named Alba Mulligan. I used to know. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> you want to hear about that. Uh, illusion. Uh, while we're on the subject of illusions, you know, there is a... Is a I told you you weren't going to miss anything. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't miss any of you either, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> I mean, you, you are no treat, you know, at this hour. Some lady wrote to me and says, Dear Shepherd, I certainly got sore the other night. I saw you on television. I thought you looked like Jack Parn. You turned out to look like Pat O'Brien. You're rotten. Well, first of all, lady, I don't look like Pat O'Brien, and you're even rottener. Thinking I look like Jack Parr. What do you mean? Jack Parr looks like any minute. I was going to break into crying tears. They're a big, long, you know, the thing. Not me. <laughs> I might look like I'm going to break into hysterics, but for a different reason than Parr, I can tell you that. Well, that's another story. That's a terrible thing to say, lady. You go out there and have your illusions. That's all right. If you think I look like Pat O'Brien, you think it. I wish my agent thought so. I would do much better. Crying out loud. This is terrible. Pat O'Brien? What do you mean, Pat O'Brien? You think I look like Pat O'Brien? Of course not. Lady, I suggest you go out and get your, get your vertical amplifier fixed and your TV set. You're bringing in another channel there. It ain't me that you're looking at. <laughs> Pat O'Brien. Right. What is this? Well, I guess it's because it's Wednesday. Speaking of uh, lawlessness, did you read that wild story in the Times? This, now that it's after 11.30... Wait, uh, do I have another one? Yeah, I'm going to do one more. We have the Paper Book Gallery. And Marty Geisler of the Paper Book Gallery... Hey, listen, what happened to all you guys? I showed up, you know, at that book signing. I was late, that's true, but I got held up by the A-train. And uh, the A-train got caught in crosstown traffic, and uh, I was there 40 minutes late. But on the other hand, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, it was free, wasn't it? 
I mean, you all showed up. You didn't buy any books. You just sort of fooled around and scratched and got mad and all that stuff. And I was there. What, 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 what do you want? Anyways, well, uh, the paper book gallery down on uh, 6th Avenue and 8th Street, right next to old Praxeroonies there, they have a supply of George A., the America of. I would like to thank Mr. Richard Watts, Jr. Um, he's the, the critic, you know, who a couple of days ago made mention of my book in his column. I will not tell you what he said. Thank you, Mr. Watts. The next time I get on a stage in front of you, Dad, you better watch out. Because I'm bigger when I'm on a stage than you are when you're sitting down there in the seats, let me tell you. <laughs> well, he has a warm spot in his head for me anyway. Who was it? Who was the guy that, that when he was reviewing Banquet for the Moon, says Mr. Shepard was, was a model of Mephistopheles. Mr. Shepard was truly Mestophilian. Or was it Mestophilian? Uh, you know, the, the critics have a very special series of words that don't mean anything to us out here, you know, out in the hedges, <laughs> in the bushes. But it is quite true. I was, I was truly the model of a 20th century Mephistopheles. And, uh, of course, it was typecasting all the way down the line. Actually, it wasn't. Seriously, friends. I am not Mephistopheles. I come from the front office. Mephistopheles, you know, is a second raider. And if you knew who I really was, boy... Let me tell you, <laughs> be plenty of quaking out there tonight. You'd be calling up your friends and telling them to duck. Tell you, I don't come from Chicago for nothing. Just because you're living in Staten Island doesn't, doesn't, doesn't at all make me chicken out. I know about Staten Island there. <laughs> you can't impress me. Well, uh, <laughs> Mephistophelian, that's it. I have a pendulous. Is my voice pendulous? Pendulous. This is the guy in the New Yorker. Says Mr. Shepard has a pendulous voice and is insouciant. Insouciant. The guy in the Daily News said Mr. Shepard talks endlessly. Well, I think the news does too. <laughs> in a different vein, that's true. But uh, you, you. I mean, you stop calling the kettle black, old pot. There, crying out loud. We'll be here until you know. We're all. Uh, <laughs> we're not fallible. We're runcible. The better word. I suggest you look that one up and try it on your boss tomorrow. Call him Old Runcible. And he'll at first think that it's a, a word of endearment. And it'll take him three weeks to catch up on that, and by that time, you'll have already done something about your, about your resume, and you can work it out pretty well at the next place. Old Runcible. Try that. It's spelled with a C, not with an S. <laughs> I mean, even in Queens, it's spelled with a C. Runcible. Runce. Runce. <laughs> Little short, fat pigs. Of the litter, that is. Well, I'm sorry. What is it? See, I told you you're not missing a thing. Anyway, did you see this great article on the front page of the New York Times? And they never said anything about it, hardly on the newspaper. I suppose you have observed this little article. And you notice they're covering it up because of the ramifications. You know, I do feel, seriously, folks, Alba drinkers, that, uh, that there is a kind of lawlessness beginning to settle into the world that is fantastic. I mean, it is... It is a kind of lawlessness that is truly lawless. Now, a lawbreaker is a guy who breaks a law. In other words, a law that's been written down. We generally consider this to be a, a lawbreaker. But the worst types of guys are the guys that break the unwritten laws. Now, for example, it is an unwritten law that a man shall not roller skate down the street with a roller skate on the top of his head upside down, wearing tennis shoes on his hands. This is right. Now, there's no law that says you can't do this, is there? 
But the worst kind of lawlessness is to do it. Well, now, you see, this causes traffic jams, fist fights. It causes all kinds of things. You've got to get police permits for nothing, you know. It, it, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very embarrassing. This is the worst kind of lawlessness. Now, for example, the kind of lawlessness that is rampant internationally is the kind of lawlessness that has nothing whatsoever to do with laws. Now, here's an example. 45,000 guys start fist fighting in the Congo. Okay. All right, they're fist fighting in the Congo for whatever reason it is. Immediately, 85 countries jump up and say, You did it again, America! Without any relationship to the law, you see. <laughs> it doesn't make any difference whether we did it or not. If enough people say we did it, we have to defend. You see, this is a kind of lawlessness that is very, very intriguing. Well, this is spreading all over the world. It's, it's getting to be more and more of a daily occurrence and can be extremely dangerous. And did you see that beautiful story? It has all sorts of ramifications. Ramification. There's another very good word. I'd suggest you look that one up, too. That means three short male sheep. Uh, a ramification is uh, the plural of it. And it has very many interesting ramifications. Uh, <laughs> actually, ramifications is a monastery composed entirely of male sheep. Uh, it's a, it's a, it has military overtones, you see. Hence the word fortification. Fortescue was a writer of the late 17th century, Charles de Fortescue, who wrote some awful stuff. As a matter of fact, his work has not survived because he was a very bad writer, so don't try to look him up. He went the way of all bad writers. <laughs> See, my mind is full of all these insignificant, trivial details which will never get me anywhere. This will never land me on a national television show sitting there looking at Jean Viev every other night. I can tell you that. <laughs> But uh, on the other hand, now, did you, did you read this story? Now, now, think about it for a minute. It's just a wild... Uh, uh, please, may I have a, a one brief moment of ramification mood? Yeah. <laughs> now, put your head down. Clamp it down. Oh, now, hold it there, see? Now, you've got to get the picture. Do you know anything about Sweden? Sweden, in spite of its uh, reputation, and Ingmar Bergman, is a very staid country. In fact, it is a boring country to many people, uh, mostly to the Swedes. Uh, there are a number of reasons for this. One of the reasons, of course, it's cold and it's got a terrible climate. There's hardly ever any summer, and the people are all blonde. This gets very, very boring after a while. It, uh, it does. And, and they, they are peaceful people, which is even more boring. And so Sweden is slumbering quietly up there in the north for centuries. And they have a state radio system there, which is really, in a sense, a kind of, oh, uh, let's say a kind of unintelligible uh, version of, of the third program of the BBC, which is actually an unintelligible program derived from early WQXR. This gets very complicated, see? <laughs> but uh, never uh, did I ever tell you about the time I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in, it's <laughs> funny, but I'm in England, see? And and they they had a they had a radio in the in the uh, hotel room where I am. It was a radio that had a metal loudspeaker in the wall, and you could switch the programs to the to the home program, the the Razzmatazz light program, and to the third program. And so I'm switching around back and forth there, and I can't get anything on the third program. It, it doesn't come through. And of course I'm I'm strictly from New York, and I I have this great Anglophile problem that all the New Yorker people have. The hipper they get, the more they believe that England is where the truth is. 
And so I finally call down to the desk clerk on my wind-up phone, and I say, I cannot get the third program on my loudspeaker. George? I says, I can't get the third program on my loudspeaker. You send your man up immediately. Well, the man came up, and he looked at the thing, and he, he turned to me, and he, he, he indicated through sign, sign language. You see, you cannot communicate at all with the lower classes in Britain. They have a very special language, which I have not yet quite deciphered. And he communicated to me that no one in all the years he had been there had tried to get that program on the radio and that he would see about it by putting in another switch. So he went down and he came back up. He put another switch and sure enough, the third program came in. I immediately knew why nobody was trying to get it. Here was the same guy. In France, Northumberland, Meeting manifestation of the Roman walls could be found right, between the valleys and the dells, between North Weeping and Lower Swidlap. Madame de Courcy Bias, in the late 19th century, wrote a very interesting profile of the Roman wall syndrome as found in Lower Weeping and the Schlapp. Next week on our program, we... Uh, it's a very interesting program listened to by less than one-ninetieth of one-tenth of one percent of all Britons who float. They're that pure. Uh, so there weren't many listeners to it, you see, so all was peaceful and quiet in third program bill. Well, right down the line, there's Sweden, see, and it's got the same thing going on only in Swedish. Well, let me tell you what happened. <laughs> see, it's state-controlled, and they, uh, there are no commercials except uh, once in a while a, a, a short moment of... Uh, uh, vituperation against the rest of the world. Uh, this, this, is, this is observed on almost all programs in Europe in one way or another. Then there is a bell that rings on every radio station. There because, mm. One moment, please. This is a typical radio program in Europe. scheduled at this time will not be heard. Well, this goes on endlessly. Um, actually, it's very interesting programming. It is, is much more, really, in a sense, much more dramatic and certainly more suspenseful than most of the programming in America, which you know what it's like. I mean, I'm here too, you know. <laughs> well, anyway, the other day, right in the middle of a, of a very peaceful afternoon in Sweden, an innocent-looking ship anchored off the coast of Sweden, just outside the international coastline barrier reef or whatever it is they could, you know, the three-mile line? They're out there. And they crank up a 50,000-watt transmitter right in the middle of the broadcast band, broadcasting nothing but the loudest rock and roll you ever heard in your life. And all over, all over Sweden. Friends, we 
we'd like to tell you that you can cash in on the price-smashing General Tire Springtacular that is now being held in downtown Stockholm. For a limited time only, Volvo owners can save up to 13 kopecks on a new set of General CMT tires. And now let's go, let's go, cousins, back to that swinging music. Well, to make it, to make the story short, suddenly they came on with the wildest collection of Elvis Presley and Elmore twin records you ever heard in your life, complete with 85 million commercials. As you know, it is illegal to have commercials in state-controlled radio countries. Well, here they were right smack in the middle, of, and immediately what happened was their ratings soared to over 9,945. The only guys who didn't tune in the radio station were those who had bad cases of arthritis and couldn't twist the knob. It is a fact. Well, now, then they began to have meetings, and they couldn't figure out what to do about it. I don't know whether you know about the international control of radio stations, but I'll tell you what it is. Many years ago, 1934, as a matter of fact, I think historically, there was a thing called the Cairo Convention. And uh, in this convention, during the course of it, it was decided that there were to be certain international agreements that would be honored as gentlemen. Well, the reason this is true is quite obvious. I mean, you can see why it would work. For example, Canada uh, decides right up here over the border to put a station on 710, which is WOR's frequency of 50,000 watts, and we're rocking out at 50,000 watts. You've got nothing but chaos. And, uh, and, and, and I guess the reason this was finally... Well, of course, we do have chaos anyway in another way, but that's another story. We won't go into that. that uh, you'll have to call the boys at the agency about that. But... Uh, the, uh, the, thing, the thing was set up that way because, you see, it was not quite like the A-bomb or the H-bomb radio. But uh, it takes a lot of cash, a lot of kale, and it takes a lot of scientists and everything else to develop an N-bomb or an H-bomb or a Q-bomb. All it takes is an allied radio catalog to have yourself 50,000 watts on the air. <laughs> and the smallest country can be as loud and as vulgar and as rotten on the bands as the biggest one. So it behooved everybody to sit down and say, now let's play this straight, actually. Because you know what happened in the early days of Wild, you know, in the early days of radio. Do, you, do any of you remember a radio station called uh, KWKH, which is still on, but many years ago, it was a true maverick station. Yeah, uh, this was owned by one of the last of the great, uh, truly uh, interesting, rugged individualists in radio. And this was a station down in Louisiana. And he was on... The guy that owned the station, see, he would come on and he, he one-man radio station, he had 50 kilowatts and he covered the whole country. Here's, here's what his typical pitch was. Let me tell you, folks, none of them blankety-blank chain stores are going to run me out of business. All them blankety-blank so-and-sos from the FCC are not going to tell me how to run my blankety-blank radio station. I'll tell you furthermore, you folks drop in and buy a pound can of mock coffee, and you are backing the best blankety-blank radio station in these blankety-blank United States. Well, that's the way he went on. They finally had to dislodge him, I guess, by tear gas. And then there was another guy. <laughs> there was another guy that, that, that opened up for business in, in uh, Arkansas somewhere. Little Rock, I believe it was. It would be. And he came on the air, and every night he was saying, Men, 
Are you suffering from all the problems of old age? Men, are you suffering from problems which you cannot fight? The Dr. Little Liver Pill, the Dr. So-and-so, the Dr. Alfred Watanabe Institute now brings you the newest monkey gland technique. And this went on and on. It was the wildest thing you ever heard in your life. Well, uh, they finally chased this guy right over the border. And he arrived in Mexico right across the Rio Grande, put up a 97 million watt transmitter and continued to do that until one day a giant lightning bolt came out of the sky and wiped the whole shebang out and dried up the river. I mean, you know... <laughs> this is a true story, you know. So, uh, uh, in, of late, there has been little of that. So right now, in Sweden, there is a ship anchored out there in the river there, out in the big ocean, and it's broadcasting rock and roll music. Now, you laugh. You say, that's Sweden. Okay. Right off Denmark, it seems that since 1958, another ship has been anchored, and this one is on FM. You know, the Danes got FM. And they're doing the same thing. And they're cleaning up. And nobody knows what to do about it. The article says that the Danes are watching the Swedes with great interest because they have not been able to figure out what to do about it legally. Now, the way this is done, of course, if it was a Swedish ship, all they'd have to do would be to yank the registration of the ship. But <laughs> here's what it is. It's a ship that is flying the Lithuanian flag under American registry with a Yugoslavian skipper with 422 Spanish-speaking announcers who speak in a heavy Swedish dialect. And they can't put the finger on anybody. And, and how they're getting food to these guys is interesting. Somehow they were able to euchre out of the Swedish government. They were able to get a, uh, uh, a permit to drop food to them by airplane. You see, no, no ship can go out to them. They can just, <laughs> no ship. So now they're dropping them airdrops, and these guys are sitting out here having a ball. Well, now don't laugh. I'm going to tell you now. You say, it is quite true. Now what would you do if, if, a, if a Russian ship with a Panamanian crew and, and, a, and a group of Argentinian radio announcers suddenly anchored off the lower bay just out past Ambrose Light. <laughs> and, and three notches down the dial, these guys came on with a fantastic signal that blasted right in, you see. <laughs> and since it is international law, remember, that they are breaking, they don't have to answer to any... Do you realize the kind of records they could put on that would get them a listening audience? Woo-hoo! <laughs> and nobody could lay a glove on them. It's a fact, you know. They could play anything they, they please, you know, because after all, they're breaking, they're breaking all international law, which is not really written, you see. It's an, it's an agreement. So, so it's a very interesting speculation. Now, it is quite true it wouldn't make much of a dent if they did it in radio. However... What if these guys anchored off Montauk Point with a, let's say, a one-and-a-half-kilowatt television transmitter on Channel 8, and they started to put these great films through? Have you ever been to Europe? you ever seen some of the kind of little two-reel films that they turn out there? Woo! Let me tell you, they'd have themselves a commercial schedule that wouldn't stop within 15... And a, and a rating? My, oh, my George. <laughs> yeah, and, and we laugh now. You see, we always think that these things happen to other guys, like Sweden. Well, Sweden, you know, these are people, you know, all of a sudden they're getting all this stuff on the radio. We are people, too, you know, and we are just as vulnerable as the next one. That would really stir up... Uh, and you know what would happen, of course, obviously, would be immediately, they would have great success. And I'm quite sure what would happen would be, this would be the new formula. Everyone would start to emulate them. Either that, or California would petition 
Russia to send one to anchor off Los Angeles. <laughs> but, but seriously speaking, though, this, this is an interesting manifestation of a kind of lawlessness that, that could, in the end, result in total and, and complete breakdown. And, and maybe it's good. Who knows? That this kind of stuff can only reduce everything to, to the... Because, uh, you know, you can't have a war, really, if you're, organi if you're disorganized. Nobody has ever been able to fight a completely organized war while, you know, while they're still hunting for the fly swatters and they're trying to get everything so the screen door doesn't fit. I mean, it's pretty hard, you know, to organize. And, <laughs> and in a sense, this kind of thing could be good, for all you know. I don't know. It might, not, it might be very interesting, as a matter of fact, to suddenly have this wild show come on Channel 8, you know? And, 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 and they got the brightest picture, and you can see them all the way in Allentown, Pennsylvania. And such stuff as you never expected ever to see on television. And it comes on at one in the morning so that all the women and children are in bed, you know? <laughs> yes. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. You can almost hear those sands dripping through that vast hourglass, old Dobbin. You're a good old sport. Just keep your knees loose. Oh, yes, and don't forget. Use that neat spit oil when you need it, Dad. It keeps the, keeps the pocket soft and limber. Hang out of those ground walls.